You're listening to the Food and Fitness Podcast, the show about all things related to food and fitness. Follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at food.fitnesspodcast. We are your hosts, Jackie Vandertoon and Jessica White. Dave Marshall unfortunately couldn't be here today, but we are joined by Alex Maycock. Alex has a undergraduate degree on a Bachelor of Physical and Health Education and Honors and is currently doing his Master's of Science in Kinesiology at Nipissing University with a focus on exercise and environmental physiology. So he's a pretty smart guy and we're super excited to be here. Not only is he a smart guy, he's an elite cross-country ski racer and runs cross-country for Nipissing University. He has represented Canada at the 2019 Games, Fichu Games, and will be representing Canada at the 2021 World Fichu Games, which, for those that don't know, are the World Games for University students. And if you want more information on Alex's journey to Fichu 2021, Jess is going to post a link to this honest and heartfelt article about this amazing Alex. Ah, take a breath, because we're not finished yet. Alex also owns Maycock Performance, which focuses on delivering individually tailored training programs to meet an individual's goals. He is passionate about helping others. And in fact, this past summer ran a youth track running program in Dufferin County. He has past experience as a research assistant studying heat acclimation on cycling performance at moderate altitude and on the effects of nitrate or beetroot supplementation on cross-country ski sprint races. And this year, he's going to be embarking on his own research studies. Welcome, Alex. We are truly excited that you are here to tell us all about you, your business, and how an individual can move from coach to that metaphorical 5K. So Alex, now that I've taken a breath, you've been busy and I'm sure I've only touched on the tip of the iceberg. Is there anything that I've missed? Yeah, thank you very much for that introduction, Jackie. So I just started grad school four weeks ago and I'm, I'm really enjoying that experience so far. I, I entered it and some of the, the profs said, you're gonna find it quite a bit different than undergrad in that undergrad is, is quite theory-based and you're learning from the primary stores. And now in grad school, you get to create your own primary source and really study my interests. So it's been it's been a good learning curve the last month, but I'm I'm pretty thrilled with with my choice to pursue a master's. And I'm also cross country running with Nipissing right now, so that's keeping me busy. And then in two months, at the start of December, I'm heading over to to Switzerland for the World Student Games. So that's going to be another great racing experience for me. You are super busy because uh, having experienced grad school, uh, it is honestly the best time of my life. It will be as yours. As you said, you get to study what you're passionate about. But throw that in with your studies and your training on top of that. That's quite a bit of stuff that you've got on your plate. But I'm going to guess that you're used to it. Sure. In fact, I actually remember first hearing about you from my husband and he would speak about how your dad would help clear um, the first snowfalls in November to give you the opportunity to ski. That's pretty awesome. And I actually remember seeing you ski on my street in the summer. And I'm guessing you must have been perhaps 15 or 16 years old. Can you share with us where that drive comes from and how your family influenced you to be active? Yeah, so I, I began kind of my endurance sporting background in elementary school. Basically, the cross-country running events um, through Credit Meadows was my elementary school, and I loved it. I was hooked immediately. Um, I have three older brothers, 
So they were kind of people who would push me. And I was always trying to keep up with them uh, who were also interested in cross-country skiing. Graham, my brother, who's two years older, I was always trying to keep up with him. And then and I, I was quite successful both in, in Dufferin County and then across Ontario. And it, it just kind of created this spark inside of me to see how good I can become at the sport. Um, not necessarily, let's say, going to the Olympics, but how good can I become as an athlete, really see, see what my potential is going to be in the sport. Interesting. Um, and because you had three older brothers, I'm assuming there was some competition in the family, but what role, I mean, your dad going out and doing that, uh, I think is absolutely amazing. And, you know, certainly we as a family, my husband and I try and integrate physical activity with our kids, but how did that influence you with your dad going out and, you know, clearing trails, piling snow on to make ski trails for you and having that, um, competition from your brothers do you think that that helped you at all to get you to the level that you are at absolutely I think it kind of created this grit mindset and this idea that I was willing to to do whatever it took to, to compete with my northern competitors that's part of the reason I came to school here in North Bay is because we get snow from November till till April basically it's a five or six month winter up here whereas down south we get all those freeze thaw cycles so I'm so grateful and lucky to have my dad who is out uh, supporting me from a young age. And he would create, like you said, a, either a hundred meter loop or an out and back straight in November. He'd, he'd even use Zamboni snow behind the arenas, just whatever it took to help me get on snow at a similar time as other Ontario skiers. Um, and even though it might not have been the best snow, it was still me, me chasing a dream and chasing uh, the goals. So that's the main thing. I think it's overcoming the obstacles around you and still finding a way to, to do what you want to. Interesting. That's amazing. And I love how you had the support from your parents, so which kind of leads into my next question, um, because I, I love, like we had talked about earlier, um, that you enjoy working with youth. So I have a young son too, and I want to set him up. So that he is active, but most importantly, healthy. And we talk a lot on this podcast, how sometimes those are two different things. Um, but how do you suggest that parents like me who have careers um, ensure that our kids are active? And what can we do as parents to encourage activity in the younger population? I think a, a big part of that is what the community and school system can offer too. I think it's important that we encourage participation at the schools and not um, be too exclusive at the younger age. I think it's important that the phys ed teachers and just elementary school teachers in, in general are encouraging and um, educating on the importance of a, of a healthy lifestyle because it, it can be busy outside of, of the school day when, when parents are working. And I think it's important to know that the school, the school day is a great opportunity, making sure our, our kids are active at recess and creating opportunities for them to participate in volleyball and basketball, all kinds of extracurriculars. We mm -hmm. kind of call those the sampling years. Um, as, as a child, I think it's important between the ages of four and 15 or 16 to just build all those motor skills and all the important fundamentals before even deciding that you want to be pursue athletics in high school or university just really build those athletic foundations and 
if we get kids hooked on having fun with sport from a young age, they're going to be more likely to carry that into their teens and twenties and, and make it lifelong. So absolutely it's important that the families bring it on. But I think if we can get whole classrooms and whole peer groups involved in sport, even like the Orangeville minor soccer leagues, like different ways that we can get our local youth involved together, more, more kids are going to be tend to be active. I remember growing up, my brothers and I, we'd, we'd play road hockey on the street with other, other um, neighbors. And that was so much fun. And I think we're seeing a bit less of that these days, but, and a little bit more, too much time in front of, of screens. But I think if we can bring back some of the importance of being outside and playing sport, that's, that's the key. Yeah. Put the screens down and get outside and go out with your kids. <laughs> totally. So I like food and I love that uh, you've got an interest in food as well. In November, 2020, you spoke on a podcast with Sean Soban um, about how beetroot can help you run faster. So can you briefly discuss how beetroot can help an individual run faster? And um, please remember that we are not exercise physiologists. So can you please explain it in a manner that we can all understand? For sure. So beetroot juice contains what are called dietary nitrates. And those get converted nitrates, which has the formula NO3, that gets converted down to nitric oxide. And nitric oxide has been pretty popular lately. I don't know if either of you have heard about nitric oxide in, in the media at all. But what nitric oxide does is it widens our blood vessels. So it, it helps to send more blood flow to our skeletal muscles. So to all those exercising muscles, now we can get better blood flow um, and maybe even decrease blood pressure as a result of those widening vessels. So that's one of the things that we hope beetroot will do from an exercise standpoint. And even in clinical populations, they found uh, beetroot to help lower blood pressure, um, which could be, could be very useful for some people too. And also it might help with muscle contraction. So that's the, those are the two biggest things that we're looking from an exercise standpoint, better oxygen and nutrient delivery as a result of more blood flow to the muscles and then perhaps better um, skeletal muscle contraction. And then in my own studies for my master's, we're gonna try to actually measure and quantify how much better that uh, blood flow is. So we're gonna use a couple measurements, kind of a spectroscopy system, which shines a, a infrared light into the muscle. So we can look at how much um, oxygen delivery is enhanced with beetroot juice. So those are going to be some of the measures I'll use. That's that sounds awesome. Um, and first off, I thought, is this laughing gas? <laughs> <laughs> but then I was like, mm, close, but not quite. Um, I love the fact that you're delving into something that we all have access to, um, which, you know, it's not this fancy new chemical formula. We can all use it. Right. Um, so because we're a podcast about coach to 5k, um, is this something that I can adopt to help in my fitness, especially since you mentioned the podcast that is actually more effective in less trained individuals that they get the better effects. And just, and, and so because I, I consider myself somewhat trained, um, will I have less effects or is it someone who's just beginning the coach to 5k? Great question. And I think what's awesome to note is that 
in my study, we're going to be um, importing very concentrated beetroot shots, like 270 milliliter shots. But the same dose, the same amount of nitrates can be um, acquired by eating about a cup of beets or other leafy green vegetables like arugula and spinach are also very high. So it's things that we can actually incorporate in, into our diet. Before a race, you don't necessarily need to be chugging back all kinds of um, beetroot, but it is that would be an acute dose if you're just drinking it right before, but you can just chronically throughout your whole diet just incorporate lots of leafy greens and beets into your diet. Um, so from that perspective, beet can, beets and nitrates can easily be added to your diet. And as you mentioned, Jackie, it certainly appears like in less trained individuals, it, it's more effective. But even in highly trained athletes, my study is going to be looking a bit more um, at anaerobic components, so a little bit more high-intensity type 2 mus muscle fibers, which are more... Um, anaerobic so less oxygen availability in nature um, so that's the hope that even in highly trained athletes maybe we'll see an effect in the right environmental conditions but ultimately the hope is that people could be be using beetroot as as part of their um, lifestyle so can i ask you a question and i really don't want to geek out because my i'm like so excited about this topic <laughs> um, so when you say enhanced performance um, or help an individual run faster. Is that more for um, short-term events like the 5K or can it be applied to longer-term events like 10 mm -hmm. half marathons, marathons, et cetera? Yeah. So I think the, the literature isn't totally clear on that, but it seems like some studies, yes, and others, no, maybe depending on the methods used. But the way that... Um, Normally, we, we create nitric oxide just within our bodies through an amino acid, but under anaerobic conditions, so when we go to altitude or when we're doing more high-intensity interval training, let's say our heart rate's above 85 or 90%, we're working quite hard. Under those more anaerobic conditions, it seems like that um, amino acid breakdown pathway is not as effective that we need the dietary nitrates more under those kind of hypoxic, low oxygen environments. So in those cases, then the beetroot might be effective. So lo even long distance races at altitude or sprint races at altitude, it seems like under those more anaerobic, I could send a diagram along to depict that because that might be helpful. But under more anaerobic conditions, it seems like the beetroot might be more effective just because in high oxygen availability at sea level or even long distance efforts, we can naturally create nitric oxide, but it's more when we're anaerobic and lower oxygen availability that the dietary pathway is important. That's fascinating. Uh, as Justin mentioned, we're not exercise physiologists, but can you just define um, for you know some of our listeners, can you define what anaerobic anaerobic is just so that we're kind of all on the same page? For sure. So aerobic is meaning oxygen's highly bioavailable so in other words we're able to bring in lots of oxygen into our body and that we're not working at a rate that's that's higher than we can metabolically take in whereas and that's usually has a, a turning point um, of 80 percent or so of your max heart rate so for for an individual with a, a max heart rate of 200 beats 
if you're over 160 or 170 beats per minute, then you might shift from that aerobic where you have lots of oxygen readily available into the anaerobic where you're, you kind of start then to huffing and puffing, um, your, your oxygen intake and, um, carbon dioxide output are now getting a bit closer. Um, that's when we're going more anaerobic. So it's kind of a turning point around 80 to 85% of, of your max heart rate. So if I'm, yeah, so if I'm running a 5k, I'll probably start off within the first minute right out of the gig going super fast. So I'm in kind of an anaerobic state and then, cause I'm huffing and puffing, then I'm going to go back into that aerobic state. Cause I can't maintain that super fast sprint that I was working on. Is that kind of how, how I could define it? Yeah, for sure. And, or you could even look at it from the distance of, of, an event, let's say 400 meter on the track lasting a minute, minute and a half, that's going to be a lot more anaerobic in nature than a 1500 that's five minutes or even a 5k would be largely aerobic in comparison. So just a quick question for me, uh, because my diet is horrible. And we've talked about on this podcast that uh, I try and add leafy greens to my diet. And uh Will supplementation, so can I take a beetroot supplementation, a little pill of beetroot? Uh, I don't even know if that exists. Will I get the same effects if I take that supplement or should I eat it from the, the leafy greens and the beets? I love beets, by the way. And yes, there are powders out there like beetroot powders. I sometimes supplement with that in my smoothies even. I like uh, beetroot and powders and and i'll put in spinach into my smoothies so even th that would be my suggestion like if you can find powders or find bulk amounts of beetroot you could juice those you could juice um, carrots and beets together that'd be a pretty tasty juice depending on if it if it if you enjoy the taste of beets i know some people find them rather earthy but i've i've been a little beet obsessed since high school since a biochemistry uh, assignment so <laughs> That's what I was going to ask is, does it matter how you cook it? Because sometimes with certain food, you, you lose nutrients if you cook For it sure. certain ways. So what is your take on that? Like Especially boiling them. Boiling them is would be the worst in that you'll notice the water goes very dark red and you're extracting them. Um, but I usually like to bake them in the oven or um, you could even shred them over over um, a salad things like that but i would say baking and baking is probably the best or shredding rather than boiling be for that reason that you're gonna lose more nutrients if you boil them which this is gonna sound wild because my dad has grown beets in the garden since i was a kid but my entire life up until like probably two years ago the only time i ever ate a beet was when it was pickled yeah. So they would boil it, pickle it, you know, a ton of vinegar. I loved it. We would put it on our salads and everything. And then I think two years ago, they had so many beets and they had like, they had already done up, you know, three batches of pickled beets. And they're like, okay, what else are we going to do with these? And they mm -hmm. baked them. And I was like, I didn't even know you could bake these, but yeah. just baking them like a, like you would a potato. Right. And it was delicious. It kind of changed. Uh, it's, not, I, it's not something that I, I eat all of the time, but you've definitely convinced me that I need to. <laughs> and pickled beets are delicious too. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the pickled beets. I think that's one thing if you can, it's like any food, if, if you don't enjoy it one way, try it another. Um, 
and make make the foods, give it some variety. Don't always eat uh, potatoes one way or carrots one way. Try them different ways and you'll enjoy them more, I think, when rather than always eating them raw or boiled, just change it up a little bit. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I've, I've talked about Brussels sprouts a million times too, because it's another one of those foods where I thought of eating it a certain way my whole life. And now, you know, there's a million recipes. So I, I guess as long as you don't lose the nutrients, like don't, maybe don't cook it in a microwave, but have a look and find different beet recipes, right? Totally. And, and incorporate lots of variety. Here at my house in, in North Bay, we do a cooking rotation. I live with four other skiers and we each choose a, a night of the week kind of to cook. And it's pretty, it's pretty awesome that when you only have to, to focus on like making one or two good meals a week, because the others are, so you really kind of get into it and think about how to, to make a really healthy meal for people. That's awesome. So I know that diet is really important um, to an individual when starting off an exercise plan. And you mentioned in your podcast about adding spinach and beetroot. So I'm thinking the dark vegetables are important to exercise. So now let's talk about what some people may consider the hard part of a couch to 5k. So what is, what in your opinion is the hardest part of starting an exercise program? And once one gets started, how do they keep going? So I think the biggest thing in terms of starting a training program is being realistic with what your life's going to allow. So don't, don't expect yourself to train one hour a day when you don't have that time. Be realistic about what you can commit. If, if 15 or 20 minutes is, is what you have through the week, that's totally fine. You can do a lot in, in a 15 or 20 minute workout. Um, it doesn't all have to be just kind of one pace, like low intensity, go for a 4K run. You can do some intervals in a 15 minute, minute uh, session and make that workout harder. The big thing I think is people believe that committing to let's say something like a five or 10k running is a big daunting task and and it can be if you set the the expectation that you have to train an hour or two every day but if your schedule only allows you to train even four or five days a week and some of those days only half an hour 20 minutes make make the most of those sessions and do a bit of research or talk to a coach about how to make um, those short sessions really productive and then still incorporate the longer sessions when, when your schedule allows. But the thing is just not making um, your expectation too drastic and make it realistic with what your, what your schedule allows. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I am 51 and I have been, you know, exercising all my life. Really. I have a undergrad in phys ed and I played sports as a kid all my life. Um, but there's hills and valleys in my career, meaning that sometimes I just don't feel like it anymore. Like normally the fall, I kind of take some time off because usually in September I'll do a big race and I'm sick of it. So I take time off, but I know for myself that I come back to it. Um, and so that's so ingrained in my life that I don't worry about it. I used to, However, when I do have that time of no exercise, um, I think I can pick right up where I've left off. And the next day I recognize that, you know, I can't, like I'm sore. I think about squats. I haven't done weighted squats in a long time. And I know that if I go back, there's gonna be a few days when I don't 
feel very good walking down my stairs. And certainly as I get older, this is becoming more problematic. So what would you recommend for individuals, say, who are older, my age, who are looking at getting into exercise or getting back into exercise? And are there any guidelines that you can recommend for older individuals? Totally. I think um, I'll answer this with a bit of like a, a fitness principles perspective. And this will probably be pretty familiar to you, Jackie, but frequency, intensity, time, type, volume, and progression. Um, fit VP is how you can remember that. It's like you can't just keep doing things at the same level throughout. You have to gradually progress yourself. Um, if you've been taking a lot of downtime, it's important that you don't have the same expectation that you're just going to be back where you were before. It, it often would have taken, you know, let's say a three or four month build to get to that, that last fitness place. So you're going to have to start a little bit lower and again, progress yourself to get there. So maybe it's going to mean you're going to have to have less frequency, only two or three sessions a week, but then hopefully after a month, you can progress to three, four or five sessions. And you can, from the time perspective, gradually increase how long you're exercising for. Um, gradually increase the intensity or the number of reps if you're lifting weights just be very progressive with it rather than setting the expectation that you have to be where you were three months ago be realistic um, and progress back there I think is, is the best way to do it I have never other than playing team sports I've never used a coach before and I know you have your own coaching uh uh, um, business. What are what value do coaches give to somebody who's starting an exercise program and somebody like me who's been doing exercise for a while? For sure. So I think the big thing that a coach can do is be be someone almost a, a little bit of a sounding board, someone to really voice your concerns and how you're feeling. Be be dead honest with the coach, and there's someone who can adjust your program accordingly and is something working or hopefully they have the, the background and knowledge to, to tweak your program accordingly and really kind of look at the data of how your training sessions are going. So they're basically a great way of objectively determining what's best for you and what uh, needs to happen from a training perspective to meet your goals rather than kind of just subjectively saying to yourself, oh, I'm going to go for a 5k run today. And then um, maybe you don't feel great the next day because you should have taken a rest or often coaches are, are quite good at periodizing your training plan rather than just guessing yourself, right? If someone really is passionate about coaching and writing a good training program for you, then you can, you can have a lot of trust in your coach. And it's like on race day, it's like they've helped you get there too. Yeah, I, re I really appreciate you saying that because, and, and that's one of the things that I've learned this past year, um, and people on the podcast know my goal this year was to do another 50K. And I set out a training plan for myself and it was too aggressive. And, I, and looking back, it was too aggressive and I hurt myself and I became demotivated. Um, and, and hindsight's 2020. I think if I had a coach in there to actually say, hey, you know what? It's okay to take a rest day or it's okay to... Um, instead of going for a run, why don't you go for a bike ride or something like that? Um, I see the value in coaches more so now 
than I've ever seen in my, my entire life. So starting off with a coach, I think personally um, would have prevented a lot of discomfort um, both physically and psychologically this year. So um, I think coaches are well worth their money, but that's, that's, that's my perspective. So I'm glad that you're doing this for sure. I, I actually, I find my running is more my alone time and I like to get inside my head and I don't have anybody to answer to. And I think I'm a little bit of an oddity and women in particular love the social aspect of exercise. What are the benefits of exercising with others? And how do you suggest finding people who are on the similar journey? Yeah, that's a great point. I, I'm often in that same boat too. In the summer, I'm usually roller skiing back home in Orangeville. There's not a lot of folks who, who roller ski back home. Whereas then I come to school super eager in September because I have 10 or 15 training partners up here. So I think the big thing is maybe finding groups on on Facebook or social media ways, trying to connect with local people, see if you have a local running store might be a great, great route. Or if you see other people out doing your activity, don't feel shy to go chat with them. That That's a great way to, to meet other people interested in your passions too. So I think that's a great thing. And from the, the social perspective, it's often a great way to keep you motivated and keep you focused on your goals, knowing that other people are around you with common interests and that they're going to be at the workout too. I always like knowing that you're not going to be there alone. You're all working together. So I think that's the best thing, just knowing that other people have the similar interests and are passionate like you. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I just have to say that I had to Google what roller skiing was because I have never seen anyone roller ski before. How did you get into that? Yeah. So it's basically the best way to dry land train for cross-country skiing. Think about them as extended um, roller blades. They're usually uh, maybe 60 to 80 centimeters, just short of a meter. Um, and basically, it simulates how you would skate skiing in cross-country, which is the side-to-side motion skating. And there's also a classic roller ski, which if, you, if you've ever classic skied, it's kind of par- your skis are parallel. And it has a ratchet on one of the wheels. So when you kick back, your ski moves forward. Um, so that's the best way in the summer to, to practice for cross-country skiing. So that's really what got me in, into it. Some of the things is, Sorry, go, go ahead. You just have to be careful about the routes that you choose. Um, that's, that's the big thing. And trying to find maybe closed off subdivisions or roads with shoulders, things like that wearing reflective clothing do you do you need to find somewhere that's really flat and even usually that's especially the the best places to learn um but i've even roller skied in gatineau park i don't know if you guys have ever biked there in in ottawa or a little bit out in hockley and you know there's some pretty good hills out in hockley so i've gone a little bit faster than my mom likes to know but (laughs) it's pretty Uh... fun (laughs) Yeah, don't tell your mom you're going down. <laughs> no. I, was, I was thinking, are there brakes on these skis? So there aren't, but you can kind of slow down by dragging a ski behind or or um, kind of like you would on snow, like the pizza stop a little bit. You have to be a bit uh, cautious with it or 
drag it in in grass or, or gravel on the side if you're trying to stop more quickly but you have to be careful where you choose wow it's <laughs> amazing so as we head into the fall and winter what should we know about exercise and changing temperatures and i'm sure your mom's glad that you can get back on normal skis on snow <laughs> um but i asked this from a few perspectives first uh, what to wear for colder weather. So a person who is not too warm or too cold. And second, how does one get outside knowing that it is cold? Like just the motivation to actually leave that front door. Um, so what are your suggestions for monitoring the temperature safely and from a motivational perspective? Totally. Great question. Because I think it is super important that as Canadians, we are comfortable outside and we recognize, you know, four or five months of the year, it's, it's important we're still active. And I think the big thing is, is wearing enough clothing, especially at this, at the start. If you go out warm and keep moving, that's the key. You can always shed layers, but you can't put on clothing that you don't have. So take a little bit more that you need and use a loop to exercise. Let's say, uh, you, you can just use a kilometer loop and, and wear, leave one of your middle layers back at uh, the starting junction and that way you can kind of regulate your own body temperature how how cold or, or warm you want to be so that's the big thing and make sure you you do a good good long warm-up try not to stand around too much is a big key um, hot beverages could be a nice clutch in between from a racing perspective we're not allowed to race if it's any colder than minus 20 just for for lung health is the main thing there so that might be an okay cutoff, especially if you're going to be doing high intensity. But I think lower intensity exercise, like just going for an, an easy run or easy ski, it's still okay to be out there in minus 25 maybe. But just watching what you're comfortable in and, and wearing enough clothing for sure. And what about footwear? Mm -hmm. So cross-country ski boots can sometimes be a little snug-fitting. So you could buy a half size big and maybe wear two layers of socks or wear a thick wool sock. But other than that, I would say just get a good pair of winter boots that you're comfortable in. Awesome. So Alex, uh, just to piggyback on Jess's question, because I know that it's hard to get outside when it's cold, simply walking out your door or even looking outside. So how do you motivate yourself when you know it's minus 15 outside? I guess that's one of the things that I, I like about being a winter athlete, honestly, is I find it easier to train in minus 15 or minus 20 than plus 30. Um, and you probably know that from, from the physiology perspective of cardiovascular drift, often uh, your heart rate will just spike as you get dehydrated out there uh, in those hot temperatures and it can be a, be a hard grind. But I find when it's, it's colder to just dress appropriately for the weather, um, even if it means covering up your face a little bit, uh, keeping your extremities warm. I think those are the, the best ways. As long as you're dressed appropriately, there's no reason I, I, I wouldn't be out there. Um, and just, I guess, the other thing is knowing that, that my competitors are and that I, I enjoy the sport, I, I want to be out there. It's easier to, to motivate yourself if you have um, some purpose and enjoyment in the activity. And that could come back to what we talked about before, have a training partner to keep you honest and bring you out on those hard days. 
I love that you say that. I, I actually prefer uh, colder temperatures. As an older female, I find the heat is really, I struggle a lot in the heat. Um, in fact, my worst times are during the summer. So I appreciate you saying that. Um, I'm really thankful that you've given us some information on how to implement exercise into our lives. Um, I love exercise, you know, and I remember uh, listening to this this uh, before podcast, you know, and this physician had said, um, uh, if you can find 30 minutes for Facebook, you can find 30 minutes for exercise. And the journal, uh, Physician in Sport Medicine, I had a t-shirt and it said exercise and embedded in the exercise is and below that is medicine, because it truly is medicine. Um, you've actually given us a lot to digest, no pun intended with regards to beetroot. Um, I'm really curious as to where the future for Alex Maycock will be. Uh, where do you see yourself in five years? That's a great question. Um, I'm, I'm really enjoying my master's research so far. I guess after the two years, I think I might want to start a professional career, like as an exercise physiologist or coach. I've thought of maybe working with uh, some Canadian or NCAA ski teams. And I've also thought about maybe even going to Europe and working um, with the professional cycling team or professional endurance teams over in Europe if, if the right opportunity came up there. Otherwise, I, I might be open to doing a PhD in research too. We'll see where I'm at uh, in a couple of years first, but hopefully by five years down, I'm, I'm kind of working a career at that point in physiology related and my interest in coaching and supporting athletes. I've been very fortunate growing up to have phenomenal coaches and people who've impacted me and sport means a lot to me and so does academia. So I'm just really grateful that I'm able to pursue both of those things right now. I love it. For a plug for Alex, uh, this past winter, um, I skied with a bunch of people and, and we did not know how to cross country ski. And we hired Alex to come out and teach us. And uh, you were on my mind a lot because of the skiing. Alex would say, slip your shoe or slip your foot into your slipper. So I would tell myself all the time, kick the soccer ball or slip your foot into the slipper. So what I loved, and this is what I told people is, you spoke my language. You didn't like make it all fancy terms and stuff. You just related it to something that I could understand. So I truly, I think that makes a good coach when uh, you speak to the individual. So well done for you. Alex, can you tell us a little bit more about your coaching business and where we can find you? For sure. So last, um, last winter and spring after finishing my undergrad, I realized that coaching was something that I was really passionate about. And so I launched a small business in the spring and you can find that at maycockperformancecoach.com. And this has been a way that I've been able to work with a few local clients, both in Orangeville and North Bay, as well as provide some coaching services for, for the Compass Run for Food. So this has been kind of a really cool way for me to give back both to the community and uh, other interested athletes. Again, we really are so thankful that you're joining us. Um, all the best in your future codes. I really look forward to seeing where you're going to be in five years. And thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for watching and listening to this week's episode of the Food and Fitness Podcast. Join us next week when the hosts of the Food and Fitness Podcast sit down to reflect in our team huddle episode. 